In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. Homie, we're taping on the Friday before the national title game. And part of the reason that we're taping on Friday, and it's taken us this long to get something out, is because I have been physically and emotionally exhausted ever since (laughs) 2023. (laughs) How about you? About the same. Uh, I feel like how you always described how you felt after the Rose Bowl after Saturday night. That's the best way I can describe it. That was a roller coaster of emotions and just, wow, what a game. Yes, it was very similar feelings. I felt like it was over and I, I literally felt like I needed an IV. It was just like at the Rose Bowl. I was like, okay, I need to lay down. I need a cheeseburger and I need a tall Coca-Cola. <laughs> I mean, I was wiped out. Um, let's talk about the game, though. I mean, you and me were texting throughout it. And I want to start with, uh, I think, they and they said it a bunch in the post game. okay? The, the four cornerstones of the program and a couple of them being composure and resiliency. And I think you saw in some of the videos, they're actually physically pulling out the composure cards. Did you see any of that? Yeah. yeah. Nolan was running around the sideline with it, which I loved. And I thought Saturday night embodied that more than anything. And I also thought it was a reflection of their journey this season. And I know there were points, points during the year where folks were kind of wringing their hands a little bit about, oh, they didn't look good or, oh, we had a close game because I think we all got so spoiled by 2021 and just blowing everybody out. But did you hear what Kenny and Stetson talked about when they got in the huddle for the game-ending drive, what they said to each other? I heard what Stetson said to the line. I didn't hear what they said to each other, though. I can't remember if it was Kenny that said it or Stetson that said it. They said, remember the Missouri game. So you think like, oh, yeah, that game stunk and we should have blown them out and blah, blah, blah. But that moment was preparation for this bigger moment. And so I thought that was kind of cool and a kind of a pullback to the journey of the entire season and how it allowed them to still come out on top when obviously they didn't play their best. And credit where credit's due. I thought Ohio State did everything that they needed to do to be in that ball game. And, dude, I thought, hey, man, Bostradamus over there, your point during the game was one – or during our preview the week before was the ways that Ohio State will have a chance is if they play well on the interior line. And yeah. they did exactly that. I thought pretty much the whole night they neutralized Jalen. I mean – he wasn't noticeable to me on a lot of snaps, which is not the norm for him. So I thought they played great. And C.J. Stroud, shades of Bryce Young, I thought, with how he was moving in the pocket. And he was like a magic man all night. 
And I don't think that's something anybody anticipated was him running. What did he end up having, like 66 yards on the ground where he's just extending plays and creating opportunities? And so it wasn't wasn't just his running. It was Ryan Day, for as much crap as he caught after the Michigan game, had a very good game plan for how he wanted to attack Georgia's defense. And they set up a lot of moving pockets for Stroud all game and really neutralized the pass rush. Um, or we only, I think what we have two sacks uh, all game. I think they ended up getting four. I thought they ended up getting to him four okay. times, which I think he had only been sacked maybe twice the whole season before that. So okay. net net, they still did a nice job it's just i dude he was he was magic he played an outstanding football game that's probably the best game of his career i would say yeah yeah i agree i mean he was about as clean as he could be calm i thought he looked so composed the whole night certainly big enough for that moment so i mean credit to him man it was i was very impressed and i think you and i both felt like this was a game that tilted in Georgia's favor, and we thought they would assert their dominance and kind of take over, especially in the second half. And it just didn't happen. And credit to Ohio State for that. They were prepared. They were ready. They played well. We kind of poked fun at them for the comments they made last week about having advantages everywhere. But, look, man, they were ready. And I do think the other piece of it is, if you really break it down, the recruiting matters. And of all the rosters across America, Ohio State's probably one of the only ones out there where top to bottom, that roster talent-wise, is in ways equitable to Georgia or Alabama. I mean, they recruit. So I don't think it's like there was some huge talent disparity or anything like that. It's just my expectation was not that Ohio State would do what they did to our defense. So – I mean, big credit to them for that. And we texted about this a lot. What struck me about the game on our side was how many little things had to go right for us to even have a chance for the fourth quarter to happen. And it, man, it was just a wild game. I mean, we had been going back and forth. Like this is one of these games where you're kind of just resigned. Hey, look, just not our night stinks. This is going to be a bummer just a really unfortunate way to end this year, but just doesn't look like it's going to going to happen. looks like Ohio state's going to roll and um, get the win just based on how things were going, especially in the second. Well, I would say the end of the second quarter and then into the third quarter, but man, another fourth quarter for the ages for Stetson Fleming Bennett, the fourth, I mean, he just came out and, and did his thing and he looked lost in a lot of ways. I thought for, portions of that ball game just indecisive and but when it counted boy he threw all the cards on the table and just let it rip and I mean where should we start like what what pieces I think first off and and this is the, the place for me that it was big because obviously the narrative has gotten shifted because of the was it targeting was it not targeting which by the way it wasn't targeting I'm saying that as a football fan not as a Georgia fan like Look, it was he hit him with his shoulder. It was a great play by Javon Bullard. But beyond that, I thought it was a heads up football play because yeah. if he's not there to make that hit, it's, it's a touchdown. touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody in that stadium and us watching at home 
thought CJ's trying to throw it away, which I do think he was. I just think it floated on him. And it was like a lollipop that landed right inside the end zone line. I didn't really go back to look at the replay, but didn't you think he was already out before he stepped back in? Like, I thought it was going to be an illegal touch. Or do you just have well, to establish yourself back in bounds before you touch? I, the ref threw his hat down. So he definitely was out of bounds. That's what so, I thought. So I'm not 100% sure. I always get this rule mixed up with the NFL. So um, the NFL, you have to establish yourself back in play. But in college, I think if you're the first person to touch it, I think you're, it, it's regardless of penalty. I think. But these refs were so atrocious all night. It really, I'm not sure if they call it or not. So who knows? Yeah, I, that's a great point you bring up about the hat. When the foul, when the penalty flag came out, that's what I thought it was for. I was like, oh, they're going to call it legal touching on Marvin Harrison because he was out of bounds. And he came back in because everybody, including Marvin Harrison, thought he was throwing it in the first row. And so when they call targeting, I'm like, targeting? And then they showed the replay, and it worked out fine. But So that was a, a point where replay helped Georgia. And then let's pivot quickly to the other one, which could there have been a more fortunate placement for the AT&T pylon cam. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I mean, so I think that's a thing they were doing for the CFP games is having the pylon cam not just on the goal line, but they were having it at the sticks. I don't yeah. remember doing that regular season, do you? No, it's new technology for the playoffs. And, homie, I don't know if they overturn that play, if not for it being there. I really don't. No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. Because with it being there, it was clear as day that he had stayed inbounds with the hand, had kicked his feet up, and it was a first down. So, bless that technology. I mean, that was outstanding because that's a huge swing, too. They get no points there otherwise. So, I don't know, man. It was just – it was wild. All these, like, little pieces that you don't really think about. And then, you know, Kirby's timeout hurt around the world. So – also, that's another one they missed, a 12-minute on the field for Ohio State on that play. So who knows if that gets called if Kirby doesn't call a timeout, which I don't think it was because I didn't see any laundry on the field on that play, and they ran it. There was not any penalty on the field, and technically the 12-minute on the field call does not always have to be called by the refs. It's supposed to be reviewed by the booth as well. So that's a penalty they can call from the booth is my understanding. So, so, they, could, so they could have made that determination. After they, they could have made that, that determination, yeah. They could have. So that's my understanding um, that it could be buzzed down as 12 men on the field. But I'm not 100% sure on that, but after reading all the back and forth over it, that is my understanding that they can buzz that down. Yeah, that was one I thought, you know, who knows what would have happened, but that was a a miss, which may have ended up not being a miss based on that. Well, let's not forget the the false start that led to a touchdown on one of Ohio State's early drives. I think it was their first drive, wasn't it? Yeah. First or second? Ball start that got called offsides on Georgia. <laughs> yeah. And the reason they were offsides oh. was because the running back, like, essentially lurched forward and no call yeah. on that. They were freaking out. Kirby was freaking out. Um, yeah. I-, I thought all in all, I-, I didn't mind the officials. I know a lot got made about them, but I thought for the most part, they let them play. Um, yeah. I-, I know it looked like there could have been some holding calls and there certainly could have been. And there, there was a couple of plays. It, it felt like Georgia guys even got tackled, but um, I thought all in all, they kind of let them rip and let them play and, and call it a pretty good game. Um, I thought 
man, how about how about our boy Arian Smith just having hi America? I'm Arian. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Just having the biggest game possible in the biggest stage. I just loved every minute of it. Those two big catches were just, man, I was like running through my house. I was so excited. <laughs> Did you get a chance to see the all 12 view of the first catch or the first pass? Oh, uh-uh. Oh, my God. That th- Okay, so um, when I went back and watched the game, on the third watch through, I watched it on the all 12, which is a 22. view from behind – or 22, all 22, sorry. It's a view from the quarterback. Both that pass to Stetson and that pass to Kiras on the last drive were just beautiful reads, perfect ball placement, and just, oh, my God, they were beautiful, both of them. And the pass to Brock, too, where he just had to wait for the perfect opening as well. I mean, you can see it on the replays, but when you're watching it, you don't quite appreciate it as much from the regular sideline camera view as you do on the replays. But in the moment, when you see it from the all 22, man, those are beautiful throws. Yeah. I've gone back and forth this week about which throw was my favorite, the one to Brock on the final drive or the one to Kiaris, because the one to Brock, that pocket was collapsing and you see him kind of sidearm sling it, I think, because he feels it coming. So I thought that was a monster throw. And then that throw to Kiaris and the catch by Kiaris, just what an unbelievable play. And one that I hope gets remembered how it should, because that was a massive play. And then, dude, I even think the throw to AD was a much more difficult than it looked. You know, it looked like, oh, this clean throw pop. He's just throwing the corner route. Dude, there was a ton of anticipation by Stetson on that throw. And I'm just, this is one of the things about AD I love. He is such an outstanding route runner. And that route was run magnificently to put him in a spot to be open there. And Seth Emerson wrote in his look back article, that was the exact same corner where Devonte Smith caught second and 26. Oh, so there was some oh, wow. sweet, sweet justice in that. So yeah, that, that was neat. And I want to rewind a, just a bit for that Aryan catch after the, timeout on the punt fake that wasn't i mean speed baby (laughs) speed do what speed do and i mean kirby's face when the defender falls because i thought somebody had tweeted in the moment oh arian kind of hip checked him or something oh no it was clean dude just fell down because he couldn't keep up like it was the speed is just unreal i also thought it was neat because it was kind of a fun callback to Kirby and Arian's interaction before the Tennessee game when he told Arian, hey, look, when you get the call, just relax. Take a deep breath. Can't nobody catch up with you. Yeah, Nobody's going to match you. You're going to run away with it. And it was the same thing, you know, and you can't tell me that doesn't help, right, that in these ears that's what these kids are hearing, that, hey, my coach knows I'm it. Like, I'm going to do it. This is my moment. And so I just I love that with all the injuries he's dealt with and having to fight back and try to find his spot. I love that he had that moment. So that was beautiful. Well, let's talk about that final sequence, because I want to talk about the defense first. Pretty much all night, it felt like they were on skates and we we talked about this offline. It felt in a lot of ways like the 2021 SEC championship game in my eyes on the defensive side of the ball. You had a quarterback just looking like a maestro all night 
And then you had Georgia's secondary just getting diced up and nobody getting home seemingly within the front seven. So it, it just felt a lot like that all night. But when it mattered in that last eight minutes of the ball game, last you know, six to eight minutes of the ball game, defense bowed his neck twice. And when they needed to get stops, they got stops. Whether that was holding Ohio State to a field goal on the drive before Georgia goes down the field and scores, or bowing up enough to make it so Ohio State has to attempt a really long field goal to win it. So, and let's also not discount they were doing it with a skeleton squad. I mean, it felt like at the end of the game, they were going to tag you or me in to go play outside linebacker. I mean, it, the depth is just nobody left. And so I thought for them to have that performance and to bring pressure with all those young kids and all the guys that had had limited snaps and limited reps, it was just awesome. So for as much heat as the defense has gotten it, and look, justifiably so in a lot of ways, they should get credit for that. And I would say otherwise he did not have a very outstanding game, but the play Keeley made on the slant on the last drive was a big time play. And you had, you could see he kind of saw it and had learned from his mistake. And that was a huge knockdown. So, you know, they showed up when they needed to show up and gave the offense a chance and gave the dogs a chance. So I thought that was big. And yeah, man, I just, I thought Smile Modern had a great game. I really thought he helped neutralize some of what Stroud was doing outside the pocket. I mean, he didn't keep him from doing it, but he made some some big plays. So for the defense as a whole, you're right. It, it felt a lot like the SEC championship game. But the whole thing changed It basically after they went up by two scores in the second half where basically, I guess, I don't know who was smart, Muschamp, Schumann, where they were basically like, look, we can't just sit back and rush this. we got to bring the house. And when they started doing that and those moving pockets had to move more for Shroud and it basically got him off of where he wanted to be and made him uncomfortable. And that changed the whole dynamic of their, the game. But that also created a lot of, you know, hey, we're going to leave our secondary on an island even more now because we're bringing all this pressure. And I will say this, I am one of Keeley's biggest critics, and I have been all season. I put the Tennessee game on him and said he's going to be the key factor in this game. I put this game on him. I don't think he played as bad as everyone's making it out to be this game because of the fact that it, just because he was the closest person on some of these catches doesn't necessarily mean that that was his responsibility. That first touchdown that um, Harrison caught in the corner, Stroud sat back there for six seconds and yeah, just that's, could that's read the fair. newspaper. You can't cover somebody for six seconds, no matter how good you are. Yeah. So Keeley had a – yes, he gave up yards. He gave up a touchdown. That was the touchdown he gave up. But overall, he did not play – he, he had a average game. He did not play a great game. He did not play a bad game. But I would say the rest of the secondary got torched more than Keeley did as a whole than, than Keeley did this, this week. But – just feel like the defense, when it mattered most, like you said, with the skeleton crew and everything like that, Michael Williams played great when he came in. I mean, yeah. he showed that, you know, he started the season this year. Let's not forget that he was uh, against Oregon. He started. So, and it was, I guess he just, it wasn't, he wasn't ready for it. So they kind of started rotating him in and then he's grown up as the season's gone on and he's going to be a stud. So, yeah. um, I mean, he's probably going to be in the Nolan role next year. 
And I think he's going to play a big role this week too, especially if Chaz can't play. So I, I was really happy with how he played. I think um, Marvin Jones Jr. is going to get a lot of run this week. So he played good with, with the limited snaps he got. I'm just I'm really excited about the edge going forward this week and going into next season. Yeah, I, I think going into next year, the defense is exciting. They're going to have some players that can be really transformational. And Michael Williams, I even think they look alike. Dude, he just reminds me so much of Trayvon. Just a freakish athlete. And I thought it was telling that Kirby spoke about him early in the season, about you know what a hard worker he is, how quickly he's picked things up. And so I am expecting very, very big things from him. So, yeah, and, and they're, they're going to have to play roles this week. I mean, they got a tough task. This and We'll talk about it here in a minute, but I'm interested about Monday night. I don't have a lot of feel for it, and part of the reason I don't have a feel for it is because TCU, man, they've got a little je ne sais quoi to them, you know. Like, they're just – there's something about that team where yeah. they believe in each other, they play well together, and, I mean, they're kind of playing with house money. They're not supposed to be here. So there's no real pressure for them, right? Like, if, if they get blown out on Monday night, this is the greatest season in TCU history. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you have a Heisman finalist. I think the first one since Doak Walker uh, had been like 80-some years or something like that, and then go to the national championship game. And so, yeah, I mean, look, th- this season has already been a success for TCU, and those kind of teams are scary because – they're just letting it rip, baby. And I thought they played like that against Michigan. Now, and, and we'll get into this, Michigan didn't help themselves in any way, shape, or form on Saturday. But that's a whole nother conversation. But before we pivot to that, I want to talk to you about the last drive and then just kind of tie up thoughts about the game. I, I thought they couldn't have looked more cool and calm for that two-minute drill. I mean, they came out just like, we're just doing seven on seven, letting it rip. I mean, guys making big catches, running great routes, and the moment just wasn't too big for them. And the big thought I had when that kick went wide left was this is the type of game that we're usually Ohio State in the past. Yep. Which is like you almost feel bad a little bit winning a game like that. But then I was like, you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to go back through my mental Rolodex of all the games that I experienced on the Ohio State. So, no, I don't feel bad about it at all. I'm, I'm no. living this. <laughs> so, but how many times has that been us? And so, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I spent all day Sunday going, I can't believe they won that damn football game. <laughs> I'm still shocked. And it's Friday. So, yeah, it's beautiful. Like all these Ohio State fans you see on Twitter or on message boards or whatever, just being like, yeah, enjoy the luck you win. I'm like, yeah, I, I very much enjoy it. I'm not apologizing about it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was kind of it for me. But, man, what a roller coaster and God, what a ball game. So, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it better than you just did. I mean, after all of the heartbreak that Georgia fans have experienced just in our fandom let's just go back to oh four yeah oh three oh four and just the heartbreak from then let's not even go you know from 80 to oh four just oh four on and just think about that it's just nuts to think about the 
heartbreak and the heart gut wrenching losses from that time frame on. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll gladly take this win. I will bask in it. And I'm not a big trash talker on social media unless you just make an absolutely asinine point. But you know what? Just sit there and you know complain all you want because we were those people two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were those people and we were on this podcast doing that two years ago. Like, like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. Like, so I'm perfectly fine with it. You know, we will take the win and be perfectly happy. Me playing for our back-to-back championships. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel about it. I just, should we have won that game? No, we should not have. Am I overjoyed and fired up that we did? Sure am. Am I going to apologize about it? Nope. Not one bit. Just going to walk our happy ass to L.A. and play for the title, baby. (laughs) So, yeah, well, let's talk about that. So, I think not the matchup anybody anticipated. I think everybody and their mama thought it was going to be Georgia and Michigan in L.A. And Michigan just came out and in so many ways laid an egg. Two two pick sixes, um, you know, running the Philly special from – Fourth and goal, like, I, I just – I didn't understand what they were doing for a majority of the football game. Like, it just felt like they were trying to be too cute. And I will say I thought J.J. McCarthy got a little flustered by that three-three-five look from TCU's defense. I think that's part of what contributed to the two pick sixes. I just think his eyes got a little crazy. Um, so, I mean, credit to TCU. And, look, we texted about this. That Quentin Johnston, he's real, homie. I mean – he, he reminds me so much of Pitt Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Just uncoverable in a lot of ways. So he is going to be a prop on Monday night, and I am interested to see. And you got to figure that will be Keeley's guy, right? And I am interested to see. I think they're going to play a lot of man Monday night. That's my gut on it. Because I think they know they've got the athletes to do it. Because, look, let's just have a brass tax conversation. If we're looking up and down the roster, there is no comparison talent-wise. TCU's roster versus Georgia's roster. Georgia is the better football team. That's not conjecture. That's just a fact, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that will bear itself out on the field, but that's just a fact. They have better players, and they have – they just got more talent. So it should be a game where Georgia controls and does what they want to do. But it's like I told you, homie, I have no feel for it because Max Duggan is a dude and he is nails and you can tell they love playing for him and with him. So like, I don't know, man. I mean, where are you at on? I just, I don't have any read for it. I think they, they feel great about who they are. They know who they are. And I think they're just going to go out and let it rip. I told you before the Michigan game, when we were talking about it last week on our preview episode, like you would pick TCU in our picks way back when to cover. And I flipped my pick on our preview episode for Michigan and TCU because TCU just feels like that team of destiny. Like they just feel like that team, like in the, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament that just cannot lose. Like that story that just will not go away. And I ha- you're right. I have no feel for this. This is a game that Georgia should go in and should win, you know, 40 to 10, re- like on paper. Yeah. Will they? 
I have no earthly clue. I think that defensively, looking at the game against Michigan, Max Duggan did not play well. He did not no. play well. And he I think Georgia's defense is much better. Yeah. Um, I really, other than that, you know, pass to Johnson that where Johnson basically took it 76 yards. That was uh, a third of, I think over a third of his yards. I think he only had 180 yards and then he, had, that was a 76 yard play if I remember correctly. So and he was like less than 50% completion. Now one of the picks was not his fault because it was a tip off the receiver's hands. Um, yep. But I mean, he just, he didn't look like he had all season. It looked like he would, you know, had a little bit of jitters. So, yeah. I mean, I think TCU's game is going to depend on how he plays. I don't see Georgia having a prop like giving up two pick sixes and running these weird plays on the goal line or anything like that. Right. I don't see any of that type of stuff happening because also Georgia's played the three, three, five before they played it. They played Mississippi state, Mississippi State runs three, three, five. Yep. Arkansas plays the three, three, five. They've seen it yep. before. So I, that's not something that's going to be brand new to them. Stetson seen it before. I'm not really worried about that. So I think Georgia, this is going to be one of those games. It's going to be kind of, it's going to be a meh first half. It's going to be one of those things. I'm not going to say it's going to be a tight game, but it's going to be kind of just sluggish and just kind of like a just dull first half, probably like a 17-7 type first half. I don't know. And then Georgia should take over in the second half. That's what I'm expecting to happen. But I don't really know that that's what's going to happen. That's But that's what I'm expecting to happen. Yeah, I think for me – it feels like, I mean, it always is, but it feels imperative that they start fast in this game because I think the longer TCU is in the ballgame and the longer they believe, the more dangerous they become. I think that was the problem with Michigan. They got off to a hot start. They're up 14 zip. They got all the momentum and they were like, oh, we can win this football game. And you got to snuff that out quick. And so Georgia needs to come out, hair on fire, start fast. And I think if they do that, it will be a blowout. I, I really believe that. I just think they're, the talent is just going to be overwhelming in, in my opinion. Um, but look, man, I, I, th I do think we're tired. I mean, I thought they looked tired Saturday night and I think that's real. And if you think about it, dude, <laughs> they've been under a crucible for two years now, two full seasons where the lot, you are in the light all the time. And uh, you know, that wears on you after a while and you're kind of carrying a lot of weight. So, and look, in some ways you got to throw all that out the window because this is title week. So you just go out and let it rip. But it, it, I, I just, like I told you, man, I don't have any feel for it other than I think they need to come out and start fast to eliminate TCU feeling like, Oh, we got a shot because I think the quicker they can snuff that out, they'll just go away. And I also don't think TCU is equipped to come back, like play from behind against Georgia. So they just got to come out and be who they are. We've said this all season. And I felt like this Saturday night, cause it was bearing itself out. The only team that can beat Georgia is Georgia. If they do what they're capable of doing, they will cover the spread and run away with it. But if they're going to, miss two field goals and miss a zone read to Kenny and, you know, throw an interception where you should have just ate the ball and be into, you know, if we're going to do all these things that put you in bad positions, then yeah, it's going to be a ball game. But if they are who they are 
and play like they've played almost all season, they're going to be back-to-back national champions. I mean, that's just a fact. So in some ways I feel some peace and feel good about it. But in other ways, I, I kind of felt that way about Saturday night. <laughs> so we just kind of have yeah. to see how it goes. I mean, I, I thought it was a little, I don't know if odds the right word, but you know, that both teams are getting there today, which they were in Atlanta for a week. So I did think that was a little funny, but I guess it is better to be at your, at your home facility for longer. So they'll travel out West and luckily they've got experience from the 2017 season, 2018 Rose bowl trip. So they've done that West coast trip and they know this time they don't have to come back and play again, which, you know, that, yeah. that's a big deal too. So um, I've been texting you about it. The tickets keep dipping to the point where your boy keeps wanting to make himself a trip out to the city of angels. <laughs> But, yeah, it's a tough trip to make. I did see a lot of folks are leaving today. I saw some folks posting on social about heading out and going out west. So I think there will be a large dogs contingent in L.A. So, I mean, the dogs travel. There's going to be a, there was going to be a large contingent regardless. Yeah. So I, I did. I, I wasn't worried about that. And honestly, if lights from Virginia were not so ridiculous, I would want to make the trip, but the, the flight would be three times as much as the damn ticket. Can't really swing that. It's the travel. I mean, that, that's the, the big piece of it is just getting out there. It's tough. Um, plus, we've talked about this offline. LA is just not, a, just not a place for me. It's not a, oh man, I can't wait to go to LA. Like I'm, I'm here nor there about LA. It's just fine. And there are parts of LA that are cool. Like I love Manhattan Beach. Um, you know, I loved Pasadena. But, you know, it's L.A. It's, it's, I'm neither here nor there about it. So that part of it, I guess, hasn't been driving me as much. And some of it, I think, is dulled by being an indie last year and kind of having that memory and having that experience. So I don't feel a ton of pressure to, like, be there and go, which what a world, right? That we're actually having this conversation where I don't feel pressure to go to see the dogs play the yeah. national title game. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. But, yeah, it's – um. Oh, I want to bring this up too. I saw somebody tweet this and I thought it was awesome because, you know, I've been driving this bus for almost four years. But did you see what somebody posted about Kenny's season thus far with his uh, rushing and receiving? It puts him in company with Dexter McCluster and Percy Harvin. Yes, I did see that. He's uh, wow. 500, 510. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Over 500 yards receiving, over 500 yards rushing, and 10 touchdowns. I was like, yeah, what a season, what a season. And look, man, I feel like we do not do a good enough job on this show of pumping him up. Coach Munkin might be the biggest unsung hero in this whole Dern operation. I mean, I thought he called a beautiful game Saturday night outside of the goal line play. Although I did hear somebody say post game might've been Kirby throwing to lad on that goal line play wasn't even an option. Like wasn't even a, wasn't even a read in that play that Stetson just did it. <laughs> yeah. So, Oh, let's talk about that too. Cause people have been bringing this up, which I didn't even think twice about it. I guess it's cause I'm just used to their interactions, but Kirby obviously didn't hold back with his commentary on Stetson 
in the post game or at any time after about, <laughs> hey, look, uh, the problem here is if we're going to trust him to run the offense, he's got to run the offense. He can't just wheel and deal and do what he wants to do. And Stetson didn't have any problem with that. I mean, he was sitting there in the press conference nodding his head. Yeah, he's right. I should do that. But I feel like they, they just – they're funny, man. They just have this relationship, I feel like, where you can tell they've probably dropped a few F-bombs around each other, not in a cordial way when having correspondence about what's happened over the yeah. last two years. And so I just don't think either one of them takes it very seriously. I think they just say it and they move on. And you could tell Kirby was pissed and Stat was like, well, yeah, sometimes that's what I do. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's – um, I, I think a lot more was made of that than it really was. I, I don't think it matters at all. So, also – can we interview Todd Munkin once a week? I mean, his the, the quotes he puts out are outstanding. Number one, you know I love that he cusses like a sailor. I mean, he yeah. ain't scared of a four-letter word, which God bless him. I love that about him. And so his quotes during the week for his media availability leading up to the Peach Bowl and then post-game were just outstanding. I mean, they, they were asking about Stetson. When did you know he was the guy? He said, well, well shit. I, sometimes I don't think he's the guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he is a card, man. He is really, really funny. So yeah, I, I enjoy him a lot. And uh, I think Kenny's season though, to kind of tie this back into what we originally started talking about, Munkin has used him magnificently, just like he did James Cook last year. And in some ways you can say he's used Kenny better than he used James last year, which I think yeah. is going to mean great things for as it pertains to the draft which excites me because man you know i love kenny and i did a post about this across our socials after the sc title game but i just continue to be impressed with him every time he gets any chance to talk about himself or somebody asks him about having a great game he is just immediately deferring to his teammates and to god and man i just love kenny like just a Great dude, great player, and, man, what an ambassador for the university and somebody that, if you're a fan of the program, you can be proud of. So I'm so fired up for him and that he's had all the success that he's had. Because think about it, man. We've been talking about him a long time. And the reason we've been talking about him a long time is because it's been pretty apparent from his first snaps that, man, Kenny got a little something to him. Like, he's a player. And he has bided his time and waited and not complained and done whatever's asked of him. And so I love that he's having these moments and getting his shine. And yeah, I just, it's, it's awesome. I'm fired up for that kid. I'm going to, this kind of pivots into something I wanted to bring up today. And I was going to wait till after the national championship game to bring it up to see how it played out. But I still think that this is relevant. The culture that Georgia has, and this ties into, I mean, Kenny staying because you know firsthand that Kenny was talking about leaving in 2020. This ties into the culture that Kirby has built. With the landscape of college football and the way it's changed, culture is becoming more and more and more important because everybody's, you know, we talk about the microwave generation. Everybody's looking for the instant gratification and the NIL and everything like that. If Kirby can continue this, and continue to build Georgia and keep Georgia the way it is, this is going to be akin to what Belichick did 
been in the free agency era in the NFL. Not saying it's going to be six national championships in 18 years or anything like that. And I'm not saying he's going to beat Saban, but Saban built his built Alabama, which is akin to like what the Steelers, Niners and Cowboys did prior to the salary cap era. Like we didn't see a dynasty like that until the Patriots in the salary cap era. And I'm comparing this, you know, salary cap era to the NIL era. So I want to make that clear. I'm not, you know, comparing the two dynasties of Alabama and Georgia. I just want to say it's a different animal now that Kirby's building this in. So it's different. And the culture is so important. And we don't see people jumping ship right away. Not saying everybody, but the majority of people at least give it a couple of years to see what the, what it's going to happen. And then if they get, say, that second year, more than likely they're going to say a third year and a fourth year and wait their turn. Yeah, that's a that's an outstanding point and an outstanding observation. And I think the big piece in that is winning, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to convince kids to stay when you can point to your ring fingers, and I say that multiple, and also to the walls where guys that stayed are now getting paid in the NFL. So I think you have two really compelling arguments there when you can not only offer winning, but also offer the best chance at professional escalation. So I think those are big. I think the other piece of it that Kirby does a great job of and his staff, and I think something they hone on as a unit is they're making that determination while they're recruiting. Look, why does this kid want to be here? Does he fit our ethos? Does he fit our model? Is this kid here because he wants to make some dollars or is he here because he wants to play for the G? And I think they do a great job of that. I think that's why they haven't had mass attrition. And look, you're always going to have it just because kids want to play and they have one shot to play. And I get that. And I'm for that. But to your point, to create an environment where kids want to be there and to create a culture where it's so much more about the we than the me. They're, they're doing just an exemplary job of that. And I think you'll continue to see that. We talked about this after the Tennessee game. He's very intentional about that. Look, man, that postgame statement he made was intentional. We got kids that stayed here. We didn't take anybody out of the transfer portal. We got people that want to play at the University of Georgia. I thought that was a message that, look, if you want to come play here, this is what we're about. And if you want to be bad about it, then come on, we want you. But if you want to cut bait and run, it ain't it. Don't come here and play with us. We don't want you. So I think he's intentional about that and good for him. He's not selling this, oh, you're going to have everything right now. And, oh, it's going to go exactly like you wanted. It's, hey, look, we're going to give you opportunity. And it's championship culture and we win. And I'm not just telling you that. Just look at the walls here and then check out my fingers. Look at all this bling I'm rocking. And then also – look at all the guys that we've placed at the pinnacle of their career and allowed them or helped foster them to reach their dreams. So it's a winning argument, man. And there ain't no better salesman in America than Kirby Paul smart. So they're going to keep rocking as long as he's there. Uh, I just, it's a machine that is going to be hard to stop. And we've talked about this a ton in the lead up and it was kind of why it was so frustrating for so many years, but, Look, man, if you just recruit the state of Georgia, you're not going to have any problems. I mean, it is per capita, it's the most talent-rich state in the union. So 
he's, he's doing that and he knew he could do that. And so I don't know, man, they've just kind of got a built in advantage. And with the way the administration is supporting monetarily and the donor base is supporting monetarily, they're never going to be behind in facilities again and opportunity. And he's never going to be behind in support staff. And so, yeah, man, I just, there was another article. I can't remember who wrote it. Maybe it was, I don't even know how you say the guy's last name. It's so hard, but Schlebaugh, is that how you say it? Mark Schlebaugh, the guy for ESPN. S-C-H-L-A-B-A-C. Yeah. He wrote yeah, an article. He wrote an article about Kirby and about how he got to this point. And, you know, I, multiple people have used it as a reference point, but there were people in the article that said, look, if he was had gone into business, he'd be running a company. I mean, he's just got, he knows how to run an organization. So, and I think he runs this like it's his own Fortune 100. So, yeah, man, it's a, I'm just going to say it because we always say it. The good old days of Georgia football are right down now, baby. And breathe this in. I mean, I just – I never want to discount that. This is good living, brother. Like, this is so much fun to experience this and to almost discount that we're playing for the national title again and have a really good chance to win it again. Like, I just – man, it's like a fantasy land. So – I. Look, brother, I'm just – I'm fired up and proud, and I can't stink and wait for Monday night, so. Hopefully, on sometime next week, when we recover from Monday night, we'll be talking about back-to-back national champions and going for a three-peat. Yeah, I agree. And look, man, the way the schedule sets up, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse, but they're going to have every opportunity to do that next year if they stay healthy. I mean, they just are. <laughs> it's just it's, – this is the world we're living in, homie. We are going to be in that conversation all year. I mean, something will have had to be catastrophic for us not to be undefeated going into Florida again because the schedule is charming soft before the Florida game. And, look, it's going to be a – November is going to be a gauntlet again. But, dude, it, 2023 going to be a fun little year too, and I'm real fired up about that one too. <laughs> and we're just going to have to get it off on the right start. Already, already had a hot start with the first second of New Year's ringing in yeah. a dog's win. And now we got another opportunity Monday night to keep that momentum going and roll it right into the offseason. So that's where we're at. All right, let me get your pick real quick. 13 and a half. They cover nine or no? I'm going to say yes. I am too. I, I, something in me tells me it's going to be a fun night on Monday. That's, I'm going to be very intentional about thinking that, and we're going to manifest the shit out of that, brother. So – I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that cover too. I, I like it. I don't feel that this game is going to be anywhere as nerve wracking as in Indy last year. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. And I don't have all the nerves. Obviously there's not a 800 pound gorilla in the room either with no Alabama being involved. So, and I will stand tall on my point that I made last year that it is more meaningful that the first one was against them and that that, dragon was slayed because it makes i think this run for me anyways more enjoyable because you have that in your back pocket that hey look we did that we cleared that hurdle and now it's just keeping on keeping on just keeping climbing up that mountain baby so yeah all right brother well we're four days out technically we got a full day here friday saturday sunday and then full day monday before 7 30 eastern kick but uh until then go dog sick them Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.